and welcome to the podcast, Pen Talks Science, a podcast run by students from the University of Pennsylvania that features casual conversations and engaging experts to talk about the most interesting current scientific topics. My name is Danielle, and I am a PhD student studying health communication at Penn. On the theme of climate change, Dr. Hannah Morris joins us today to talk about her area of expertise in media, culture, and the climate crisis. Specifically, Hannah is interested in questions of power, representation, and environmental justice. Hannah, thank you so much for being here today. Would you start by telling us a bit about yourself and your research interests? First of all, thank you so much for having me on this podcast. I'm really excited to be here today and to talk a little bit about my research. So my name is Hannah Morris, and I recently defended my dissertation at the Annenberg School for Communication at the University of Pennsylvania and earned my PhD. My dissertation was entitled Apocalyptic Authoritarianism in the United States, Power Media and Climate Crisis. And so my dissertation really was expanding upon past research I've done and things I've been interested in asking questions about for a long time, ever since I started my undergrad degree, which I did at UC Berkeley. And then I did a master's at the London School of Economics and Political Science, where I really got more of an international perspective on questions of environmental and climate politics. And so broadly, my research is interested in the construction of climate discourse and images, and specifically the historical and cultural roots of climate discourse and images and how these representations shape responses to the climate crisis. So why are certain politics supported by the media to address climate change and why are certain politics not supported or in fact denigrated or demonized or made to seem out of the question in terms of how to address climate change. So broadly, that is what my research and dissertation looks at. And also more specifically too, my dissertation focused on the Trump era. So a lot of politics going on in that era and very interested in how climate media adapted and responded to that. You spoke about this a a bit, um, but in your prior research, you unpack and deeply explore apocalyptic environmentalism and Anthropocene discourse. Could you explain what these terms mean and how this discourse has developed over time, maybe specifically speaking to the Trump era that you that you mentioned? That's a really great question. Thank you so much for asking that and really expanding upon my interest in why certain responses to climate change are supported or not. I became really interested in apocalyptic environmentalism after one of my professors for my undergraduate degree, bought everyone in his environmental biology class a copy of his book that just came out in 2012 called Catastrophism, The Apocalyptic Politics of Collapse and Rebirth, that really sort of changed my understanding of how climate change is understood and how that shapes politics in potentially anti-democratic ways. So climate change is really daunting and scary. It's posing a lot of extreme changes in society and politics and seemingly really difficult to come responses to that. So it is apocalyptic in that sense of it revealing these really scary realities and what the future can hold. 
But in this book, and then further when I developed my research, and I started looking more at apocalyptic environmentalism, it became clear that apocalypse sort of creates this universal future where there is no future. In that sense, there's a lot of opportunism, opportunists that can come in and propose either all-encompassing solutions that, that really sidestep, including different voices, different perspectives, or can lead to just nihilism in general and thinking that there's nothing that can be done. The future is gone anyway. So why should we care? What, we shouldn't do anything. Let's just continue. So these two possible scenarios aren't ideal and really close off a different kind of climate politics that would be more inclusive, more equitable and move towards solutions that can really make a difference. The future isn't lost. So apocalypse is in that way a problematic frame. This discourse too is really interesting because it, you know, apocalyptic discourses go back to biblical times. It's a really long-standing way of understanding current events and sort of grappling with how to make sense of the future when it seems like there are problems that would inhibit a really, you know, good future for people. But the Cold War era is when apocalyptic environmentalism really took off in particular. This was an era of mounting anxieties with a nuclear bomb. And in that sense, imagining global scale catastrophes. So a global planetary end. And this is important for understanding climate discourse because of the scale of the way it's understood as a planetary scale problem in that sense, universalizing it and really glossing over the specifics and local issues that different people face that are um, disparate and not the same. So this is where the Anthropocene comes in. And this is a more recent discourse. It was first suggested as a term to mark a shift in epoch, epoch. So the Holocene epoch has ended, the Anthropocene epoch has begun in which humans are now the largest geographical, ge geological rather, force on earth. This was suggested first in 2000 by Eugene Stormer and Paul Crutzen, and then later expanded in 2002 by Paul Crutzen in a Nature article where he said, yes, the Holocene epoch has ended. We need to call this new epoch the Anthropocene. And in that way, really opening up a huge dialogue in terms of the scale, first of all, of it being a planetary problem, but in that sense, sort of sidestepping again, engaging with smaller scale issues. And this is something that's becoming more of a discussion and a problem among indigenous communities and black and brown communities of color who are advocating for environmental justice and paying attention to the politics of climate change and asking, what are these large scale frames do? Are they glossing over and in that way perpetuating injustices and inequalities? You know, is Anthropocene really the best way of going about this? Is planetary scale framing really the best way of framing the threats of climate change. So these are broadly some key questions that I've been considering. But I'm curious if there's anything you might wanna talk to in a bit more detail about apocalyptic environmentalism and why it may be problematic or exclusionary, for example. 
Yeah, so apothelic environmentalism is really interesting because it took off quite rapidly in the past handful of years, specifically with the election of President Trump in 2016 in the United States media. And this was a really important time period too because in 2019, we saw a huge spike in overall coverage of climate change in US media. And also for the first time, the majority of Americans believe that climate change is real, which is great, but you know, it took a while. And also our cite that they're concerned about the immediate and long-term threat of climate change. It's really important to ask how media then are translating these concerns and what this coverage looks like. I found that apocalyptic environmentalism and apocalyptic frames are dominating coverage. And in that way, because of the chaos and crisis of the Trump era and confusion and seeming threats to American identity, American democracy, climate change was um, placed within this overarching chaotic catastrophe discourse and apocalyptic environmentalism became a sort of dominant way of understanding the climate crisis. And because of what I mentioned in terms of the problems with glossing over the specifics and the complexities of climate change through apocalypse, then this is challenging because in the Trump era where there were so many assaults on democratic processes and really assaults on agencies, federal agencies that were tasked with developing environmental justice and climate policies, there's a need to pay attention to the details and the specifics. And media sort of missed the mark on that. Are continuing to, in that way, losing an opportunity to look at more of the nuances of climate change and climate politics where activists are pushing against apocalyptic discourse, for example, and are trying to come up with other ways of imagining how the future could look and what politics will move forward towards that future. Apocalyptic discourse is quite exclusionary because it really closes off the types of conversations that occur. And also when combined with sort of the fear of losing a national identity, like happened in the past four years, then it leads to also calls for sort of American exceptionalism approach towards leading the world out of the climate crisis that closes off more international conversations that could move away from a US-centric approach to solving the climate crisis as well. So that's something that I looked at pretty closely with my dissertation research and am continuing to look at. And building off of that a bit, you wrote a great paper related to the Green New Deal. And I'm just curious to kind of look at a more specific example, how the Green New Deal might fit in with within this American environmentalism discourse that you've been discussing, or rather perhaps this counter discourse. Yeah, the Green New Deal is super interesting because it's, well, first of all, the choice of the New Deal is interesting to pay attention to as well, because like I said, um, with the Green New Deal was introduced during the Trump era. So, and again, like I said, this was an era where there's really a desperate search for reclaiming an American identity, a sense of normalcy, a sense of direction. And so the Green New Deal was, was based off of the New Deal, chosen New Deal and Franklin Delano Roosevelt as a sort of icon, as a, as a way of 
getting a sense of direction in terms of calling upon a past crisis, the Great Depression, and the way that the United States navigated that in a, you know, arguably successful way, controversial, but the idea was trying to find a sense of American history that was encouraging. And so the Green New Deal drew upon public works initiatives that were established during the New Deal and saying, hey, we can imagine our economy and our politics looking different than the way it is now under Trump and the way it's been in the past in terms of ignoring climate change. And the Green New Deal was really exciting in the sense of pushing against these apocalyptic ideas of there being no, nothing we can do, no future. And the Green New Deal saying, no, there's many different features that we can create. And it's just a matter of changing the politics and the economy. And what I thought was really interesting and exciting about the Green New Deal too in the beginning was the idea of changing the policymaking process. So changing the climate policymaking process and having it instead of it just being a handful of people deciding how to approach this planetary problem. Again, you know, drawing upon the image of planetary and in that sense, designing a planetary solution, which is flawed because it overlooks a lot of the complexities and different localized solutions that can be established. So Green New Deal is saying, no, let's think beyond the planetary scale. Let's think about how communities can come with their own approaches to solving climate change, but it's federally supported. That was very exciting in changing the policymaking process, making it actually more inclusive just from design. And it's been appropriated in some ways and moved away from its original intervention, which happens with a lot of environmental politics. And it's a strategy that's used on the right to appropriate um, environmental discourse in a way that sort of neutralizes it and takes away its intervention. Also, the Green New Deal, and this is what my paper looked at that you mentioned, was widely discredited across the board in the US media. So from Fox News to the New York Times to Wall Street Journal, just across the board, really was framed as being a sort of idiosyncratic, millennial, radical policy that really was something that didn't reflect the average, quote unquote, average American. And in a time period, the Trump era, where it was already so chaotic and people were already really stressed and confused, the media framed the Green New Deal as a further radical threat that would upend a sort of normal American way of life. And that way, there is widespread fear mongering about this policy and about sort of radical millennial others who were a radical generation within radical times. And in that way saying like, no, we can't do this. We need to have, we need to go back to how the United States should be in terms of a quote unquote moderate approach to climate change that essentially is a market-based approach that doesn't really change the structure of the economy in a fundamental way. Unfortunately, there are some obstacles in terms of moving to a different form of climate politics. You spoke to the prominence of apocalyptic environmentalism and exceptionalism of the United States in climate discourse. Despite the prominence of these discourses, what work 
has been done and do you suggest can be done in the future to elevate issues of social justice and equity? Yeah, that is a, a really, really important question and something that requires a lot more attention and something that I am focusing on in my next iteration of research for my dissertation identified some of the core problems in terms of media representations of climate change and climate politics that prevents a more nuanced discussion and prevents imagining different futures beyond either one economic vision of it being a sort of moderate stable approach to climate change that prevents more creative or fundamentally different ways of imagining how to change the economy or leading to an apocalyptic vision where there really is no future and in that sense closing off any sort of movement altogether. There is a lot of pushback against that and it has been for a very long time. So I mentioned that climate change discourse framed as apocalypse has been around since the Cold War era. And also since the Cold War era, though, there's been the environmental justice movement. And the environmental justice movement has a deep history, has a very long history of community-focused efforts to take back the ability to create places to live that are, first of all, healthy and also contribute overall to a planet that is thriving. And in that sense, reimagining the way that climate policies are developed and instead of being a top-down perspective, it being rather a bottom-up perspective. This is taking off more and more now, especially with the Green New Deal really jumpstarting the conversation and the policy-making process that they propose being more of an environmental justice tradition as opposed to some more long-standing top-down ways of governing climate solutions that have been around for quite some time. And so coming off of this too is a really strong indigenous movement for the Red Deal. And the Red Deal is very clearly stated, this is the Red Nation is really spearheading this, an indigenous American organization that is saying that it's not that they're opposed to the Green New Deal, but the Red Deal goes beyond that and trying to think about how to insert decolonization into the question of what to do about climate change as well. And this has motivated a lot of really important conversations about policies that move beyond what the Green New Deal even was discussing and how to think about the deep histories within the United States that have led to extensive extractive industries. There's not even the legal basis to be able to do that because of the history of the United States in terms of colonization. So really important conversations and different ways of imagining climate politics and futures that the Red Deal has inserted recently into these discussions. And the Red Nation is producing really awesome media that is showing how to do this work and how to do it differently. There's also been quite a few climate newsletters that have been developed. I'm thinking of Mary Hegler, for example, who is producing a podcast and a newsletter that is really bringing questions of environmental justice and or environmental justice perspective and coverage of climate change into people's inboxes. I think moving forward, that really needs to be more focused on how to have these really great journalistic interventions in more mainstream 
media and why it's just relegated to blogs or newsletters. And this has been a consistent issue for, you know, a very long time. Seeing how to insert these more historical context and perspectives in more mainstream climate journalism is super important. And I think is beginning to slowly happen because there has been so much pushback. Hopefully that will continue. What is maybe one or two important takeaways or pieces of advice you would like to share based on your research and your recent dissertation work? Advice in terms of how to think about climate change, I'll start with, and then advice just in general in terms of research and navigating big projects. So for advice in terms of research and climate media and climate communication and climate politics in general, I think it's just really important to understand the really amazing and long histories of work that people have been doing to change the conversation about climate change. It can be daunting looking at you know, New York Times coverage that perhaps isn't as great as you would hope for such a really important publication, but people have been critiquing this for so long and there's been so many interventions in different ways of writing about climate change from Rebecca Solnit, who's a paradise built, built in hell, was is now almost a decade old and really pushing against the idea that chaos comes from crisis instead of it being communities come from crisis and how to think about giving the ability to make decisions during crisis moments like the climate crisis more to the communities involved. And this has been something that people have been writing about and advocating exploring for a very long time. Also, for example, Astra Taylor, who does really amazing documentary filmmaking and was involved in the Occupy movement and changing the conversation about climate change being a part of social justice struggles and struggles for building a more democratic United States and what that means, what democracy even means. There's really a rich history of really important research and writing that should be paid attention to. So that's my advice for folks doing climate communication research. In terms of large scale research projects in general for PhD students perhaps who are listening to this, take the time to dive in and not expect to know what will come out of that. Everyone always says like your topic changes and it's not what you thought you would do originally. And I always knew I wanted to do climate change communication research and that's what I'm very passionate about and really am motivated to do. But because of no one could anticipate the election of Trump, which happened my first year of the PhD and then the coronavirus crisis, which happened um, as I just was finishing my proposal. And so these two really important events were unexpected and really important to pay attention to and to attend to. And so my project really adapted to that and ended up being asked, asking questions about this political moment and how that is shaping climate communication. And so it was challenging and sort of emotionally draining engaging with something so present, but really I learned a lot from it. I think adapting research to what's happening now, but still ensuring that you have a historical perspective in that is super important and needs to really interesting work. And is, you know, you feel like you're doing something too <laughs> because it's, you're, you're responding to the moment. Hannah, thank you for taking the time to join us today 
and for sharing the findings from your incredibly important recent work and research. Please keep an ear out for our next episode continuing on the theme of climate change. We'll see you next time as Penn Talks Science.